electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Dan Nathan, Guy Dami, Nadine Turman, and Pete Najarian. Tonight on Fast, the chart master says beware of hitting an oil slick. Carter Worth drilling down on the energy pullback. Why he says do not buy this crude collapse. Plus, we're tracking the after-hours action shares of applied materials. The chip stock is on the move on earnings. The call is now underway. We'll bring you the trade off the report. And later, the auto stocks hitting some bumps in the road today. We'll break down what sent shares of Ford and GM into reverse. But first, pop the popcorn because we are kicking tonight's show off with a Wall Street thriller throwback. One of our traders says, I know what you did last summer. They're worried we could be in store for a replay of last year's blockbuster market action where a calm and peaceful August is stopped dead cold by a shocking September sell-off. So... No surprise, it is Dan who draws this comparison. He could have done that, too. What, I mean, what did you see? Well, well here's the thing. thing. So last summer, it was a rip-roaring rally, and we all like were kind of scratching our heads, kind of trying to figure out what was going on here, and the level of complacency was very high. In September, the calendar turned, and all of a sudden, we had stocks going down in what felt like a straight line. I think at the lows, the S&P and the NASDAQ reached down 10%. More importantly, some of the biggest names in those indices, the same names, um, were down 2x that of what the indices were. I think the level of complacency right now. Since we had that sell-off in mid-July, and I think the S&P 500 was down about 4% peak to trough at that point, we're up about 5.5%. We've made new highs. It just seems like it's off to the races right now. But under the hood, when you think about the concerns um, when we have bouts of volatility, and it's not just in stocks, but in other risk assets, rates have been really weak. We've seen commodities come in really hard. I know Carter's going to talk about crude in a little bit. Um, It looks like the investment ground is moving below your feet a little bit here, but just not in the major indices. So when you think about Delta, you think about China, and these have all been sources of volatility over the last year or so, I think that there's a potential that September, the higher we go right now into the end of August is the lower we go in September. I'm not telling you that we're crashing. I'm not telling you any of that. But I think that that we are probably set up for a sharp decline in the S&P 500, the NASDAQ in the next coming weeks. And by the way, I mean, if you go back on the charts to last summer-ish and last fall, we actually tested those lows a couple of times in, in sequence. And so, Guy, you had brought up China the other night. How can China be weak in terms of the data we've seen? Kudos to Nadine. By the way, kudos to Nadine, by the way. And all this summer talk got me thinking about the Tennessee Williams play. You might recall suddenly last summer. And, of course, the movie of the same name with Elizabeth Turner. I know I went to see it in 1959, one of my first movies, suddenly last summer. Of course, the Motel song, Dan. Suddenly, last summer. Are you with me so far? No, no you're not. Nobody cares. You yeah. right, it's a Wednesday night. I figured I'd throw it out there. With that said, Nadine's been spot on in terms of China. I, I am shocked that with all things going on, I know everyone wants to talk about the Fed taper. I get it. That's obviously a headline. But all this news in Afghanistan, I think it has far-reaching effects for the market. market clearly doesn't care until the last day and a half or so. But I'm shocked on a day where we should have been down 40, 50 handles in the S&P. Given everything that Dan just said, we effectively closed on change a slightly higher. It's fascinating to me how impervious this broader market is to everything. Uh, Number one, it's Thursday. Number two, you're thinking, I mean, just to sort of extrapolate this, that Afghanistan could actually be a wedge between U.S. and, and China 
in its relationship. As the cool kids yeah. say, hundo P, absolutely. And I don't think the market's taking that into consideration. <laughs> I think it, the headline risk gets worse before it gets better on that front. Yeah. Um, Xi Jinping on Tuesday also made a pretty big speech that had an impact on the luxury retailers. But the gist of it, Nadine, is um, income inequality, wealth, the wealth gap there, that's a problem. Um, and so if you think that the Chinese government is, is, has all these issues, all these uh, you know, regulations rolling out, plus potentially the impact from, from Delta, et cetera, I mean, you're short, but, but should that have an impact on us here? Should we be worried about that? Well, typically what I look at is, you know, where, when has the money been made and where are we today and where is the asymmetry? And so while we have been short, we've been trimming those shorts because I look at the FX side today, so that's for China. And now you're looking at a potential upside for our trading range of 6.6% versus a downside of one2 and it has implied volatility discount of 13%. So what does that mean? A lot of people are short. You know, they're not really scared and paying up for, uh, you know, they're paying, they were paying up for protection before, but now, you know, it's kind of getting washed out. So um, one of the things I'm looking at here is like, how much further can it go? So it might have been at a premium before. Now it's at a discount, but it's heading towards zero. I'm going to take off some of those shorts because there's a lot. Every night we're seeming to get battered in the news. But I compare that to the Q, so the NASDAQ. If you look at the QQQ, I'm looking at an 88% implied volatility premium. So people are paying a ton of protection on that one. And I've got about a 1.9% upside versus a 50 basis point downside. So I like those odds a lot better uh, when I'm looking at, okay, people are super worried on that one. I think I could actually get the, the NASDAQ to, to rally in that because people are protected versus the other one right. where, you know, maybe it's getting washed out a little bit. Pete, do you think we're setting up for a scary summer sequel as Dan is predicting? Um, you know, everything Dan said sounds right to me, except for the fact that I, I think I see at least what I'm looking at right now is this rotation that we've had, Mel. And the Mel, because of the fact that it's been a very healthy rotation, I think that's exactly why we find ourselves where we are. It seems like everybody was on the energy bandwagon for several months. Then they jumped off. Then they jump on the semiconductors. Then they start to jump off a little bit. Now they're back on. But it just is this whole rotational process that we see. I think that's very healthy for the markets. Now, the, I think the key for me is going to be just keeping a very close eye on what Tom Lee's going to talk about, but volatility. Because when you look at volatility in this market, we've been trading in the teens, it seems like, forever. Every once in a while, we've spiked over 20. It's lasted a day or two. It doesn't seem to be able to last at all. Right now, we have about a day of which we've spent above 20 on the volatility index. But that could just last a very short time frame. I, I, I still look very constructively at the markets in terms of where we are, where we're going, and what we see. Now, obviously, the Delta variant, that's going to be a situation that's going to be something we all are watching extremely close. What's going on with China and all the different types of things that they're trying to regulate and change. So there are a lot of different areas in the market that could cause it, I think, to have maybe a 4 5 6% pullback. But I don't see anything in that, that's showing me, at least right now, Mel, that we are in for an absolutely obliterating shot to the downside. So yeah. uh, for right now, I remain bullish on what I'm seeing. Yeah, and I agree a lot with what Pete just said. The rotations have been, they've been really healthy, right? And we've seen major corrections in different groups. And therefore, that's why the S&P 500 has been able to hold a lot of these gains. But I'll remind you, and I know we're going to talk about Amazon later, this was one of the largest market cap companies in the world that just dropped 15% in a straight line from an all-time high. And that's the point I'm making about last 
September. No one thought that could happen. That was a specific fundamental reason where investors who've been in love with this stock and have been in love with this story have sold it down. My point is it could happen to the other ones. And, you know, listen, at the end of the day, I think that if you thought by now we were going to have this pandemic in the rearview mirror and all of that monetary and all that fiscal stimulus was going to have this um, economy that did V reverse, right, in the, from the throes of the pandemic crash, it was going to be inflecting at this point. That's not happening. Okay, that's been right. pushed out. The, uh, the uncertainty about that is the very thing why I think it would be very healthy to have a 5 to 10% correction over the next few weeks or so. And then you start playing for that year-end rally to close out and then move higher because the global economy at that point should be in a much better place to all work in sync. So the thinking is that the most loved stocks at this point deserve the hardest sell-off, which is usually the thinking in general with most sell-offs. But at this point in time, Guy, then which stocks are poised for that sell-off, well, that it, sharp sell-off, the, the next Amazon, if you will? Under that premise, mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, if you want to go there, I happen to like Google, but Google falls under that category without question. I mean, that's a beloved stock. Apple continues to make new all-time highs. That would fall under that category as well. Except that I don't think that's going to happen necessarily for those names. It should have happened, in in my opinion, given what's been going on with Amazon. But Amazon's been its own story, so I just don't see it happening. The rotation Pete and Dan talked about is spot on. And it's fascinating to me that energy, as Pete said, was everybody loved it. That has gotten crushed, yet the market continues to go higher. Look at the resource trades today that we've talked about. Freeport, McMahon, Cleveland Cliffs, U.S. Steel, they got obliterated today. Broader market doesn't care. It's amazing, again, how well the S&P 500 does in the wake of all the things we just talked about. Dollar at a nine-month peak certainly doesn't help. Pete, um, where are you on energy now? Yeah, I, I still like energy, Mel, but, you know, I, it felt like there were so many people that jumped on the bandwagon. It wasn't on the way up, really, Mel. It was actually once we got the price of crude over about 70 that everybody seemed to get so excited everybody wanted to be in everybody thought it was just great back in november it was 37 it made an unbelievable run from 37 all the way up towards like 77 i think was the highest i saw i think in the pre-market one day or, or overnight but you know just an unbelievable push now i think on this pullback it really does hinge upon what we see what's going on with the variant because obviously that does affect what's going to happen with the economy how much driving what's going to be the demand for oil and gasoline and so forth so i think there's a lot of ifs out there right now for the energy space i am in only right now chevron and uh KMI are my only two exposures as far as stock. I do have a lot of options exposure to those markets because those beta names within that energy space really do unbelievable uh, activity. The beta itself kicks Mm -hmm. in and suddenly those moves to the upside are unbelievable. The moves to the downside are also going to be exactly the same. They're going to be unbelievable as well. We've seen a big sharp sell-off. I think at some point we're going to get enough of those bulls to be turned into bears that we actually can turn and burn back to the upside. So Pete mentioned the variant, Nadine. The variant, the variant or Powell, which is the bigger impact on the markets here? Well, it probably depends where you sit. So I think in the United States, Powell seems to be driving the show. Obviously, the long end of the curve coming down, so things are flattening because the short end of the curve going up. And that's what we've been playing here. And it affects things like we're talking about, affects tech, affects bond-like securities, affects the cyclicals, but then you look abroad, and then I think the variant matters more. Our ports being shut down, you know, our cities being shut down, what's happening with the confidence of the consumer and small businesses, and so I think it's bifurcated your answer, kind of depending which securities you're trading where you sit. 
All right. Well, it may be volatile, but our next guest isn't ruling out a massive rally within a week. Tom Lee is the head of research at Fundtrack Global Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Tom, good to see you. Um, what do you make you. of uh, I know I know you've been listening into our conversation. What do you make of Dan's, um, you know, f- forecast or thought that we could be setting up for a similar sell off that we saw last year? Uh, I mean, I, I understand the rationale. I think if we look at sectors that we're leading this year, the, the sell off Dan's talking about kind of already has taken place. And I think in terms of how investors are reacting to the incoming data, you know, last year it was concerns about back to school and the rising cases and cases were surging. Plus we had the, you know, the whole election issue going into the fall. I think the market is dealing with a lot of bad news today. And the question that investors have to grapple with is how much of what we're seeing, especially with Delta, is looking a little bit in the rearview mirror because, you know, Delta could be peaking soon or a lot of the setbacks and uncertainties that are being created, how much of it is transitory versus permanent changes? You know, example is a lot of our clients today, we're talking about canceled trips and they're seeing some of the high frequency data show some of the weakening, but that stuff could change as soon as we get some comfort on, on Delta's improving or the benefits of boosters. And so, I mean, I'm in the camp that I think a lot of bad news is baked in, but we'll you know, I, I think in the next week we're going to see more bad news, but markets start to not react to that bad news. And I think that's what makes a bottom and then, of course, a big rally. Hey, hey Tom, so a big rally from here. You have the S&P 500 up 17 percent or so. I, I guess when I think back to over the last five or six years, some of the most uh, you know volatile periods in equities have had to do with Chinese growth. And when you look at some of the data that we've seen just in the last few weeks, you could say it's Delta, or you might say that they came out of their recession quicker than, let's say, we did. Maybe there's a scenario where growth doesn't materialize globally the way that a lot of people had expected here, and, and therefore maybe equity valuations seem a little rich. And, and my point is, I'm not trying to scare anybody out of positions or anything like that. It's just that if you believe that we're finally going to get that reopening trade, wouldn't you like to see a little fear in the market rather than just this complacent grind higher that we've had over the last few months? Uh, Yeah, I'd agree with you, Dan. Fear is always good. But if you look at uh, the VIX term structure, it's showing quite a lot of fear. It's not inverting. So it's not like the market's trying to price in some big high vol event in the near term. And in terms of you know, the cycle, because I, I think you you are referring to the risk that if China's weakening, maybe the cycle's peaking, the business cycle. But there's still so much pent-up demand. You know, we know households are really liquid. There's going to be revenge corporate capex. We know buybacks are strong. And companies have really cut their cost structure. So they're not going to necessarily trip over their skis if there's a short-term, you know, bump because mobility is weakening. And so I, I just don't think we're at that point where capital's misallocated. I know investors are scared. Um, I mean, I don't blame them. I mean, today, you know, this morning was a tough session to watch. But, you know, to me, that doesn't change that the markets can be really capable of a big rally. Tom, you heard Melissa ask Nadine about whether it was uh, the Fed or the variant that made the most. I happen to think the Fed still trumps everything else. I'm just curious as to your thoughts. Could they potentially say something in the coming weeks to sort of derail this? Or, is, or have they figured out how to speak to the market? Uh, well, I, I'd agree. You know, the Fed can have a huge impact either way, you know, positive or negative. Um, but I know they're data dependent. And, you know, I think when the markets start to get soft like this and, and the soft data that they look at, like consumer confidence is weakening, I just think it, 
it's harder for them to be decisive in a decision. So I, I'd be in the camp that what's happening now is actually less likely to lead to a Fed negative surprise. All right. Top pick still energy. I uh, still like tech as well. Tom, good to see you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. Pina Jarian, tech or energy? Oh, now, now you're going to make me pick. I, I will go with tech. I have a lot of exposure in technology. I still think that there's plenty of upside. So um, I, I like them both, though, Mel. As you know, I was talking about all those options I have in a lot of different uh, energy names as well. But if you're going to put me and i got to make a pick, would, would I rather? I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go with tech. I didn't, even, I didn't even force that. No, you stealthed I, it, though. I, I, you stealthed it. Would you rather I him? That's not fair. There. You I made snuck it in. walk down that path. Um, but, Nadine, in terms I mean, it's an interesting <laughs> portfolio to construct to think that, you know, you're all in on cyclicals, and you also like tech. Well, I agree with Pete here. I'd have to go with tech. I think that it, while it's owned, there's a lot of protection on right now. So those are the types of things that if people unwind that protection, that can move it higher. There's also pretty solid balance sheets in some of the big players. Obviously, a lot of strategic initiatives going on. We heard from Zuckerberg today. Obviously, it's more of a 10-year plan. But I think that there's a lot of exciting developments. And if you end up having a variant that, you know, your second thing versus the interest rates that continues to keep the GDP acceleration kind of at bay, um, you could see rates stay low and tech continue to grind higher. So I think the asymmetry is there in tech. All right, coming up, do not hit an oil slick. The chart master's breaking down why the big pullback in energy stocks is a no-go. He's laying out the charts just ahead. But first, we've got an earnings alert for you on Applied Materials. That stock is, um, it says on the move, but it's not on the move right now. At this moment in time, it is unchanged. We'll bring you the details of behind the support next. You're watching Fast Money right here on CNBC. Back right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on applied materials. Let's get straight to Josh Lipton with the details. Josh. So, Melissa, heading into this print member, applied materials was up about 50 percent this year. There was down about 10 percent in the past two weeks. As for the print, beats on the bottom and the top. Q4 guidance, 187 to 201 versus expectations of a buck 81. Revenue, 6.3 billion plus or minus 250 million versus expectations there of 6.04 billion. I checked in with Stiefel's Patrick Ho. He calls these strong results. Q4 outlook, he says, is promising. AMAT is one of the best positioned companies, he argues, to benefit from this chip shortage and growth in the equipment space over the next several years. So why the lack of enthusiasm, though, in the after hours here? Patrick's saying there are concerns among some investors around peaking of the semi-cycle here, though Patrick says he does not believe that to be the case. On the call, CEO Gary Dickerson saying, as for near-term market conditions, no significant changes to his outlook. Demand is strong, he says. It's sustainable. There has never been a more exciting time for semi companies. Back to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Josh. Uh, Usually we don't make much of a stock being unchanged in the after hours on the back of earnings. But actually, in this particular case, this could actually be very important that it's holding on to its gains, Guy. It is interesting. And listen, I happen to think this is a great quarter. And Dan's going to make fun of me because I'm going to mention what operating margins came in close to 33 percent. 26% 26% a year ago. So they're improving on that metric. They guided higher for the fourth quarter. Everything's good. Valuation is reasonable. The one thing that concerns me, if I may, yes. put my Carter Braxton worth hat is you have this massive double top at 146. So mm. the stock's got to get off the mat here and get into the low 130s. If it doesn't rally tomorrow, it's probably headed to 114. What do you think of AMAT, Pete? And what do you think of possibly this notion that the semiconductor cycle is peaking? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, and I think everybody's got their own take on that, Mel, but I think when you look at Applied Materials, guy's right. It got up to that 146 level. It's hit that a couple of times. It's had a hard time breaking through. It's pulled back. But the stock has made an incredible run. This is a lot like many of the other earnings that we've seen through this earnings season, actually, where we've had incredible numbers. The, even the guidance has been there, and yet the reaction from the stock itself is just kind of a blah. And so um, maybe a lot of this feels like it's priced in. Maybe it's an opportunity for this stock to kind of go sideways for a little while and gather itself. It seems like that we've seen a lot of that over time. But uh, I think there are other names that are more exciting to me right now within the space. This, when you look at the valuation, though, it is inexpensive. Guy's exactly right. I think it trades maybe a 17 PE or something like that, which, given the markets that we have, that's a very inexpensive stock that should have some upside. Yeah, I would just say this. If you're talking about cycles and peaks and, and, and troughs and that sort of thing, I mean, we've had some actually bad data. We had Taiwan Semi was not good. Micron was talking about um, a, a top in the PC cycle. And, of course, Intel, of course, is you know, not doing particularly well. So, so I'm just saying, like, you know, look at it through other lens you want to look at. I, I think, you know, Micron went down 14 percent in a straight line in the last couple of weeks. It's down nearly 30 percent from its highs. And usually that is very tied to the cyclicality of their business and the pricing of their product. So um, to me, I, I think the jury's still out on this one. And the SMH, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor group, had a breakout. We know that was primarily AMD and NVIDIA, those two leaders there, but it failed. And now it's sitting on that trend line that's been in place since last fall. So from a technical standpoint, I think that there's some really interesting spots right here in this space. All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Oil's dealing with the loss of energy, and the chartmaster says this dip ain't worth buying. He's pumping into the charts next. Plus, Tesla holding an artificial intelligence event. So what does Elon have to say about Tesla's future with AI? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a hot, cruel summer for the energy sector. The XLE Energy ETF down more than 12 percent since June. And just a few weeks ago, the chartmaster said there could be even more pain ahead for this trade. Every single time the relative line has rallied to that downtrend line, it has failed to the penny. If one wasn't literally perfect in their timing, it's been nothing but a headache. Since then, the XLE has continued its drop, falling nearly 7%. So what a call that was. The chartmaster says, do not be tempted to buy this pullback, though. Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro is here to chart it out. Carter, what do you see? Well, I'm always tempted. I mean, that's the thing, and that's what makes a market so fascinating and interesting. Uh, let's look at a few crude uh, WTI charts first and then go on to energy. So the first chart you see on the screen, of course, that's just the one-year chart of WTI with a trend line drawn. And obviously we have a break in trend. Uh, we're down almost 20% here. And so the question is, is there any real insight at this particular moment? The truth is no. Take a look at the next chart and look at the annotations that I have there. So we know you have a low at, down in October at um, $34 a barrel. And we have a peak just three months ago at 77. And we've given back, yes, $14 a barrel to where we are now at 63. Well, it's not random, right? That $14 decline is exactly a 33% uh, of the preceding advance of $43. So the question is, having given back a third of the preceding advance, is oil maybe where it belongs? I think it is. The delta might be uh, causing this, uh, as discussed just uh, moments ago. But the point is, it's really about energy stocks. And let's talk about that, because I just think it's the trap that keeps on trapping. So first, just to put the whole sector in perspective, we know that it's only 2.7% of the entire S&P, 23 stocks, and a total market cap of 900 million. Uh, now look at this comparative chart. This is the energy sector versus the S&P going back as far as data is available for the current GICS sector data in 1989. And at this point, the S&P is beating the energy sector almost fourfold. And so that's the tempting part, looking at those two lines and thinking, you know, maybe we should play energy because it's so bad it's good. But the problem with that is, and let's look at the last two charts, is that one has had to be perfect in their timing. Um, and you see that here. This is over the past three years. You've had two brief windows where it was um, sort of right to be long energy. The bottom panel is relative performance of the sector to the S&P, and it has failed every single time at that downtrend line. Final chart, I've tried to annotate here uh, the two instances, one was a three-month period and one was a four-month period, where there was actually any alpha at all um, in the energy sector over the past four years. And so one, uh, it almost imputes to the practitioner a timing expertise that doesn't exist. It's just been too hard, not worth a headache. And then there's this, at only 2.7% of the S&P, Maybe why bother? Hmm. 
Thank you very much, Carter. Before we trade the trap that keeps on trapping, as Carter calls it, we do have some breaking news on J&J. Let's get to Frank Holland with the story. Frank. Hi there, Melissa. Shares of J&J down almost a percent right now after Chairman and CEO Alex Gorski said he will step down as CEO effective January 3rd of next year. He will transition into the role of executive chairman. His replacement will be Joaquin Duato, who's currently the vice chairman of the company's executive committee. Again, this change is happening effective January 3rd of 2022. The stock is up more than 170 percent since Mr. Gorski took over back in 2012. He also issued a statement saying it has been an honor and a privilege to lead this company as chairman and CEO for nearly a decade. And I am pleased to serve as executive chairman to help oversee Johnson & Johnson's ongoing progress improving the health of people and communities everywhere. Uh, Obviously, uh, Alex Gorski oversaw the company's development of the COVID-19 vaccine. Again, the stock up 170% since he took over as chairman and CEO back in 2012. His replacement, Joaquin Duato, will take over January 3rd of 2022. The stock down just about a percent. Back over to you. Frank, thank you. Frank Holland. Uh, Pete, just quickly, should investors think differently about J&J with the new CEO? I think that you always get a little apprehensive, Mel, because of the fact that you're looking at it and you're saying, well, who is this person? Where are they coming from? He is coming from within. I think people can be a little bit more comfortable about that. There's plenty of time. I think Gorski, Gorski is giving plenty of time. He's going all the way out to January. I think that gives us all time to know a little bit more about the incoming CEO and what the direction is it's going to be for going forward. But it's always a little bit nerve-wracking. And uh, you know what? I, I'm looking at a down less than 1% or 1%. That's nothing. So I, I, I'm not overly concerned about it right now, at least today. All right, let's get back to energy. And um, Carter ended uh, his spot with a very provocative question at just 2.2% of the S&P 500. Why bother? Nadine, why bother? <laughs> well, you bother caring because it's got a higher beta, right? So as uh, I think it was Dan or Pete said, I can't remember now, uh, the higher highs can go fast and the lower lows can go fast. And so if we're trading down 33%, you can uh, backtrack that a bit. But I have to agree with Carter. It said it's been breaking down short-term and, and intermediate-term trend lines for us. And we see that, we have to pause. And so while it does represent for us a three-and-a-half upside versus downside, is that exciting enough? No, it's not exciting enough. It only has a 13% implied volatility premium. And the volatility is still pretty high. So we'd like to see the numbers a little bit more in our favor before we jump in. The answer to why bother also, Mel, is because mm-hmm. they're trading opportunities here. To Nadine's point, I mean, for example, a name like PSX, which you know, I thought it was going 100. I think it got to 94. I never thought it would be 66 again. But this 66 level is where it broke out from back in January. The risk reward, I think, sets up well. And just may I add one other thing. How long have I been doing this show? Oh, a very long time. It is a, quite a long time. I believe in, in January it would be 15 years. I can say with almost absolute certainty okay. that the word practitioner has never been used on this show until a few minutes ago by Carter Braxton Ward. No, so, I feel like it no, has. I'm I can't think of you. the circumstance. But, I, I mean, practitioner is like not so out of the r- range of normal that would be an unusual. Is there an oil stock, Dan, that you would bother with? Not really right now. I if you look at the XLE, which is the, the ETF <laughs> that is made up primarily of Exxon and Chevron, I think 45%. You know, it just broke down from that breakout level from back from February. It's below its 200-day moving average. You know, if you think that that move, and Pete used the um, term before, there was a lot of Johnny-come-latelys or whatever he said who got onto that trade once crude had broken out from 70. I think it probably overshoots to the downside a little bit. That's a really bad technical breakdown, in my opinion. 
All right, still ahead. We're gearing up for Tesla's AI event. It kicks off in just a few hours from now. What investors can expect out of Elon Musk tonight? Plus, Amazon making some moves in the retail space. The e-commerce giant placing another big bet on brick and mortar. More on that in just a few. Back money's, Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla driving lower as the company gears up to hold an AI event later tonight. Let's get to Phil LeBeau for more on what to expect. Hi, Phil. Hey, Melissa. I think this is going to be one of those events where if you're really into artificial intelligence and the really geeky stuff, you're going to love this. If you're just an average investor and you think Tesla is cool and you're looking for that next big catalyst, you may come away a little bit disappointed. We'll talk about why in just a little bit. First of all, when we're talking about artificial intelligence in terms of what we might hear from Elon Musk, three areas are getting the most attention in terms of expectations from analysts. It's the full self-driving update, how they're going to be using AI to improve that capability. The Dojo supercomputer capability, he's been talking about this for some time, and we'll likely get an update on the Dojo supercomputer. And then the use of robotics and artificial intelligence to help improve manufacturing. In terms of full self-driving and the Tesla autopilot, there's no doubt that artificial intelligence has already helped Tesla immensely and will in the future going forward. But remember, this is a camera-based system, and while they have logged tens of millions of miles, and that has helped improve the full self-driving software. This still is a system that has limited autonomous capability. Why am I bringing that up? I want to show you this chart going back to April 23rd of 2019. What happened on April 23rd, 2019? They held Autonomy Day. And Elon Musk at that event said, we expect to have one million robo-taxis on the street by the end of 2020. There are no robo-taxis that have been built. There are none on the street. There are no fully self-driving Teslas that are, uh, be, have been manufactured, nor is that going to happen anytime soon. All of this is to point out that often at these events, we will hear promises or expectations set by Elon Musk. And then afterwards, people say, is that really possible? Look at the last three tech days that they've held and the reaction of the stock the first three days afterwards. It hasn't been a big boom. It hasn't been people saying, got to get in on this. Why? Often, Elon is talking about some real technical stuff that, while it's promising down the road, and some of that technology has been developed over time, it's often when he says he's going to do something immediately, Melissa, people will sit there and say, is that really possible? Are we really going to see this? So that's the thing to keep in mind. We'll be watching the event tonight. I think we're going to hear some interesting things. Will we hear some grandiose promises? That's a possibility as well. One last thing, Melissa, keep in mind that this is also a recruiting event. Elon Musk has said all along they need engineers. They want engineers. And this is the kind of event that makes people say, yeah, I want to work for Elon Musk and Tesla. For those events that you highlighted, Phil, I'm just curious, and you may or may not know this, so I apologize in advance if if you don't, but I ask you because you might. Um, Has the stock run up into the events? Because that's what happens oftentimes with an event that's very highly anticipated. Yeah, a little bit. I do remember that heading into Battery Day, the shares did move higher going into Battery Day because everybody said, wow, they're going to come up with this new battery. They're going to have this great uh, extended range uh, on the vehicles because of the battery. And remember, Tesla was and still is the battery leader in terms of cost and technology. So a lot of people were anticipating an even bigger event And remember, they made some promises at that in terms of developing battery cells. 
that have not come to fruition yet. Now, they may down the road, and they're still working on some of that battery technology, but that's usually what we see with these events, not a real big effect afterwards. Yep. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Um, This is in the context of the space not doing well of late, also in the context of the legacy automakers not doing well of late. And in particular, in the last week, GM is down 8.5%, Guy. Moving GM has been unbelievable because I was one of those people that thought it would continue to grind up to 72 or so just on valuation. And the sell-off in both Ford and GM have been epic. In terms of trading Tesla real quick, you may recall two quarters ago, the stock closed at 750, reported earnings traded down to 725. We played a game that night. First time ever, by the way. This time tomorrow. Remember that game? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I know. You say there's such glee in your eye. The the camera, the folks at home didn't see that, but you're such joy because you know what I'm about to say, how wrong I was, because I said that night, this time tomorrow, the stock will be back at 750, and it's been the next two weeks going down to 560. I bring that up because we just failed at that 725 level. Past Past support becomes resistance. 640 is your level to get back into the stock, in my opinion. By the way, it's a kink song, and we named it just on the fly. It's not like we played it. We just kind of, like, oh. yeah, worked oh. it up. during. Well, the lousy day. band, by the way. Uh, oh, come on. All right, so, Tesla, real quickly, I think we have a chart here. Look at this thing. Um, you know, it's sitting right on that uptrend that has been in place from about $70 in March 2020 at the throes of that pandemic crash here. You see it's in a bit of a downtrend. It's up about 22%. From those May lows down about 26% from the all-time highs at 900. I, I would say this. I mean, like the story, it feels like the fever's broken a little bit. I don't mean like the stock story's broken. Or the fever about the stock has broken, the and that's hype, prob- yeah, fandom. and that's not a bad thing. I'm just telling you, it's sitting on a really, really steep uptrend with massive, massive gains. So technically, it doesn't look great to me. Pete, what are you seeing in the options market surrounding Tesla? Well, you know, it's pretty interesting, Mel, because we have seen some bullish activity. And actually, when everything else has been very, very short term, one of the trades that stood out for me was not too long ago. It was actually the very end of July. We had a huge buyer of September 800 calls. That's what the stock trading virtually where it is right now. But it's, it's a stock that I think to fill in with what Dan was just talking about, it's matured to the point now where I'm looking at implied volatilities, Mel. I used to always come on the show and say, look, you got to use the options because of the way this thing moves, the volatility of the stock and all the rest of that. The volatility of those options, the implied volatility, has come down dramatically. It's very close, actually, in measurements. They're, they're closer to 50 to 55 implied volatility in a name like Tesla. Meanwhile, I look at GM, it's basically a 50 volatility. I look over at Ford, about a 40 or 45 volatility. So it's amazing how it's matured over time. And with that, the stock movement is not nearly what it once was. So it's becoming a much different company than it was, I'd say, even over just less than a year ago. It's much more mature, and it seems to move much more like what we see out of Ford, what we see out of GM. Coming up, Amazon making a bigger push into physical locations. We are priming up the details for you next. Plus, a red carpet rally, Netflix streaming higher today. And the move has options traders doing anything but chilling on this name. More on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big news out of Amazon today. The e-commerce giant is reportedly planning to open physical department stores. This would be the latest brick-and-mortar play for the online retailer. Amazon shares finishing in the red today. 
Um, Dan, you say this move could be transformational. I do. You know, we've been talking about the transformation of the CEO role here. We know Andrew Jazzy just took over. And we also know you look back to Satya Nadella, you look at Tim Cook. There was, these were like tech CEOs who wanted to put their own imprint on the company out of the get-go. I know a lot of people were a little skeptical when they made that bid for Whole Foods a few years ago. It sounds like it's worked out really well. This is a logistics play. It's also a last-mile play. Um, to me, it makes perfect sense. I think Amazon sets up down 15% or so. If it works down between 3200 and 3000 to that lower end of the range it's been in since last September, I think you start dollar-cost averaging. I think this is going to be the sort of story when the market settles out here, people get comfortable with the new CEO and the strategy that the stock works back to the levels where it was and probably breaks out of that big range at some point in the next year. Yes, Guy, you're Hi. looking no, at me. No, I am. I, well, I'm not allowed to look. I mean, no, that's what we do in the show. We make eye contact. Say creepy. something. I, uh, look, quickly, I'll you say something. You want to say something? Please do. It is do. creepy. Please it is do. Kohl's comes out KSS. I was going to ask about Kohl's <laughs> and what happened to the partnership there. I'm in your head. Am I in your head? They happened to report earnings today. The operating margins were twice what the street was looking for. Fantastic quarter out of Kohl's, rewarded in terms of the stock. And they do have a relationship with the Amazon, don't they, Dan? Wouldn't that make a lot of sense? Haven't you heard that before on CNBC's Fast Money at 5 o'clock weekdays? You have, in fact. Out of your mouth. You have. Um, Is there more of a convergence, do you think, Nadine, between Amazon and Walmart? Well, you see them obviously by this saying that they need to have space. They need to have places that people can go. But I do, I actually am concerned that they would buy Kohl's. I think that, you know, when I look at that, um, the print today was great out of Kohl's, great out of Macy's. You know, we played it, shop it or drop it on Monday. Um, But one of the problems is people paid high prices because there wasn't much supply. And there's back to school, there's adults going back to work. So I don't want them overpaying when we're having a really good moment when we could see a deceleration, call it, after the, the fourth quarter. So while I do like Amazon going after, you know, retail boxes, what I don't like is I don't want them paying up for an acquisition. You had a little trade, Pete, on Macy's, I hear. <laughs> yeah, Macy's really did get tipped off a little bit, Mel, when, when we look at what's going on in the options markets. We had buyers... Three buyers just in the last week or so in Macy's, and obviously uh, you look at a stock like this that can make these kind of moves like it did today, and the reason behind that is this is still a stock that has an incredibly high short interest. So we talk about this all the time, but that absolutely sometimes can cause stocks to move, uh, I call it irrationally, and I think that's exactly what we saw today. So we had a really big move out of that. The last thing I'd say about Amazon, Mel, it gives distribution, and that's something that mm-hmm. Amazon is definitely reaching towards. When you look at that target number, one of the things, all their numbers were great. Obviously, stocks run up into this number, and it's sold off now somewhat. But I still look at that, and I look at their distribution, and Target always talks about the efficiencies that they have coming out of their stores. And that is a really big deal. And because they do that, that causes them to be that much more efficient, that much better in terms of the margins and so forth. So I think this is a move that they're going to start seeing more. We're going to all start seeing more and more of Amazon starting to move across the country for these types of stores. Dan, are you worried that Amazon might buy Kohl's? Uh, no, I, I, that makes sense from Nadine's <laughs> perspective, but I, I really do think it's about logistics. It's about like you know last mile. It's about returns. About a lot of things. So they might be just buying cheap real estate and do away with that brand. I don't think that brand works well, um, probably for their audience, especially or their customers, especially when they know they are going head to head right now with Walmart. That kind of owns more of that customer. Coming up, Netflix shares jumping today. What we spot in the options market that sent investors streaming into the stock. Fast money's back in two. 
miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking to the CEO of Pfizer. Catch the full interview top of the hour on Mad Money. All right, shares of Netflix in rally mode today. Let's bring in Mike Coe. So, Mike, what were you watching? Yeah, so taking a look at Netflix options today, we saw that calls were trading about four times their average daily volume today and calls outpaced puts by about two to one. Overall bullish bets, call buyers, put sellers, outpaced bearish bets. That would be put buyers and call sellers by about 30 percent. The most active options typically were all expiring tomorrow, the most active of which were the August 550 calls. We saw over 31,000 of those trading for just over $2. But if we look out beyond tomorrow's expiration, the most active options were next week's expiration 550 strike calls. We saw over 6,000 of those trade. And unlike a lot of this week's activity, which was largely retail, averaging about three contracts, next week's activity did include some institutional buyers, including one buyer of about 800 of those contracts who paid a little over five bucks a contract for that. Pete, you like Netflix? I do. I do. I like trading with the options in there more so than the stock, but absolutely, Mel. We see a lot of activity in there. Mike pointed it out. And it seems to be on a daily basis. It's always somewhere, it seems like, in the top 10 for volume. And there's a consistency to it that's very, very solid. Yeah, what's not consistent is the stock's gains. I mean, it's literally gone sideways for the last year or so, and it seems to have a bit of a trouble at that 560 level where it's failed numerous occasions. The only gap above that was after their Q4 earnings, and then it gave it all back over the next few weeks, and the stock's unchanged on the year. So, you know, not a lot of action there. You're a practitioner of the technical analysis. So twice now in the, in in the one history setting of the a record. I don't know what it means, <laughs> otherwise I'd use it in a sentence. But what I will say is I think it was Morgan Stanley. Is that my correct, Dan, that said both Disney and yeah. Netflix can go up in tandem, which I find to be fascinating. I am a Reed Hastings fan, but as folks know, Netflix has been in this very de- determined, decisive range since July of last year. Needs to get above that 560 level. Nadine, how are you feeling about Netflix? Well, Reed's a friend, so I do like him, but it trades between, in our mind, 506 to 544. So you're basically trading it in a range right now. So we have to be able to see content, subscribers internationally really going up to move the stock a lot higher. All right. Our thanks to Mike Coe for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. For the final trade, let's go around the horn. Pete Najarian. I love what I'm seeing, and one of my favorites, Mel TJX. I continue to see call buying in there. I like it. I own some calls. You Maxinista. Nadine Turman. Hi. Yeah. Well, stick around for Kramer because I'm picking Pfizer, managing all beyond. Our friends at Value Act have built a big position because of their undervalued Clover unit. Yeah, you know what they say, it ain't show friends, it's show business, but um, Amazon, I think you start dollar cost averaging here, maybe on your way to 3000 that would be the level. Guy Dami. Nadine's got friends all over the place. All over. I mean, all, all over the over. place. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Tell Reed we say hi. Bristol Myers <laughs> appears to be breaking out to the upside, Melms. <laughs> Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research 
in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.